In order to support our show, we'll need help from some great advertisers. And in order to find great advertisers, we'll need to learn a little bit more about you. So please go to podsurvey.com slash pressbox and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash pressbox, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash P-R-E-S-S-B-O-X. Thanks for your help. David, normally on the press box, we talk about three subjects, but this week there are about 9,000 gigantic media stories. So can we just list the ones we don't have time to talk about today? Yeah, shoot. What what, what are we not going to cover? I'll go first. How about the New York Times' soft-focused Nazi profile? Oh, man. Yeah. If only we hadn't taken last week off. What do you have? Well, I mean, local news, the mystery owners who have just fired... Seemingly most or all of the uh, the editorial staff of LA Weekly. We will mm. not be covering that in great detail. Maybe next week. Peter Thiel may be buying Gawker. We'll keep tabs on that one for later. What about the uh, deplorable, alleged indiscretions of, of Glenn Thrush and Charlie Rose? Oh, topic for another day, certainly. How about oh. CNN boycotting the White House Christmas party and Sarah Huckabee <laughs> Sanders being happy about that? Donald Trump says he turned down Time's Person of the Year award. And of course, we also won't be talking about Donald Trump claiming the Billy Bush tape is fake <laughs> or Trump retweeting anti-Islam videos we gotta, and, no, and we, not caring whether they were real. <laughs> we got to save Donald Trump on the on the Billy Bush tape for its standalone episode at some point in the future. There was uh, the whole Gothamist and DNA info uh, scrap. That seems like last year at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, JJ Reddit coming to the ringer. Oh, yeah. Local news. Nice, I mean, that office news. Here. Nice topic. Yeah. Well, yeah. we will not be getting to that today. Nor will we we'll be touching on the uh, the Deadspin Awards. Mm, I want to go to that one of these years. How, how have we never been? I don't know. I don't know. Never invited. <laughs> I think I was invited. I'm sorry. I probably you, was. You weren't too. invited. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to actually talk about stuff. This is the Press Box on the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast. We are not allowed to use the phrase, the increasingly blurry line between news and opinion. <laughs> we are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer. And David, now time to talk about what we are going to discuss today. The Number one, the Matt Lauer scandal. Number two, the Garrison Keillor scandal. Number three, Greg Schiano and the quote unquote Twitter lynch mob. Hmm. Uh, number four, the ESPN layoffs. Another ESPN layoff. Back to Scandals with number five, James O'Keefe. And finally, Time Magazine and the Koch brothers. <laughs> Told you it was a loaded show today. What world are we in that ESPN laying off 100 people is like the most firm ground for me to comment on at this point? <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like at 2 o'clock yesterday, everybody had forgotten about the ESPN layoffs. Oh, that's it's, nuts. It was incredible. All right. We will start with Matt Lauer because that's what everybody's talking about. We wake up late here on the West Coast. But if you flipped on the Today Show Wednesday morning, the first thing you saw was Savannah Guthrie telling the world that Matt Lauer had been fired. Just moments ago, NBC News chairman Andy Lack sent the following note to our organization. Dear colleagues, on Monday night, we received a detailed complaint from a colleague about inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace by Matt Lauer. It represented, after serious review, a clear violation of our company's standards. As a result, we have decided to terminate his employment. And we have spent the last 24 hours or so learning the increasingly grisly details, allegedly, of what those indiscretions may be. Yes. And, oh boy, <laughs> I don't even have a question. I don't, I don't even know if I have an answer if you had one. Um, yeah. First of all, it just to just say, this was absolutely shocking. I mean, you don't ever, you don't even have to watch morning television, which I don't, mm -hmm. to realize how big a deal it is that, not only Matt Lauer, that Matt Lauer is gone, that Matt Lauer is gone in, within 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to do the TikTok on this because there's so much we don't know. It, you know, the statement from NBC said that on Monday they got their first ever or at least first ever under the current yes. uh, ownership, directorship, as the, whatever. As that, they made clear to note. Yes, uh, a complaint about about Matt Lauer. Mm -hmm. Um we know that both Variety and the New York Times have been pursuing pieces. Yeah, Variety's piece came out, you know, an hour after the, the word of Matt Lauer's firing came out. And and the word now is that they've been working on this for two weeks at least, you know. The, the, and so certainly NBC was aware of it. I don't know if there's just like a sort of 
you know, Occam's razory answer to this, which is like NBC knew this was going on and and the HR department threw up their hands and said, well, somebody please file a complaint so we can fire this guy. I don't know how his contract works. You know, we don't know the details of this stuff. Um, but certainly all these things are are very intertwined. And um, and this was, you know, it wasn't an open secret in the way that Harvey Weinstein's situation was. But, you know, certainly enough people knew that that it trickled down to the New York Times and Variety to be reporting on this. Yeah. God, I just, we, we have this open secret conversation every time now. Yeah. Because it's increasingly hard to believe that nobody knew. I well, mean, when you, when you read the stuff about Matt or that, that somebody had a sense of, you know, yeah. I don't know that people knew for sure there was this, this idea, oh, well, we knew he was kind of a cad. Yeah. But we didn't know that he was you know, doing this stuff. I mean, that's, that's of course been something we've heard about a lot of these guys too. That's yeah. what we heard about Charlie Rose. Yes. A couple of weeks ago. There, there are a lot of parallels. One parallel that jumped out at me to, to Harvey Weinstein, and I'm sure there are other people on this list that this applies to as well, is that we allowed ourselves to not see the, the kind of gruesome truth because the conventional wisdom that this guy is a jackass sort of subsumed all of the other indiscretions, mm. right? Like Matt Lauer, like was quote unquote like so protective of his spot at the Today Show that 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 became an acceptable answer for like the ongoing procession of women leaving the show, you know, of of all these like personality disputes of all of these. I mean, we don't even know about know how many you know producers, female or male, were shown the door over the years during his tenure there or whatever. But and it's a similar thing with Weinstein that just like people will defend themselves from not knowing, saying, yeah, I knew he was a jackass. I didn't right. know all the stuff was Oh, going we just on. thought he was misogynist. Yeah, we exactly. We had no idea about the other stuff. Yeah. That's a that's a really interesting point. I think it's also just, I mean, I, was, I couldn't help but remember when Brian Williams was the disgraced NBC News anchor <laughs> for, as it turns out, stuff that was on a totally different order of magnitude, and Matt Lauer was the guy welcoming him back to mm-hmm. TV. Conducting what everybody thought was an incredibly softball interview sure. at the time. You sort of wonder what was going through Matt. L- this is the other question. It's like, did the people – and, of course, we learned also Matt Lauer talked to Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. And gave a kind of a little bit more of a fastball interview with O'Reilly. Well, over the last six months since your firing, have you done some soul searching? Have you, have you done some self-reflection? And have you looked at the way you treated women that you think now or think about differently now than you did at the time? My conscience is clear. What I have done is organized a legal team to get the truth to the American people. So if you go to um, Newsmax.com or BillOReilly.com, you will see an article about one of the accusers of me, okay, who was arrested for filing a false police report. You will see that article. And, and I, want happened- people, I want people to read it and make up their own mind. And that happened back in 2015. And I, I just want to mention the two things can be mutually exclusive. She could have filed a but false report know, in 2000. And I don't. You but don't she could, know. She could have filed a false report in 2015 and still be telling the truth about you. Look, anything's possible. All right. But it goes to credibility, doesn't it? Do these people, do you think, are they sitting there thinking, oh, man, this could be me? Or have they just processed, you know, they just in some state of denial that they think they'll never be caught? I don't know. That's another fascinating question. No, that's, that's I mean, everybody's got to be thinking about that. Um, I think it's somewhere in between. I, don't, I mean, I think that there's certainly a, a, a huge level of denial. And also, I think if you're Matt Lauer, you're this sort of like, you know, the the paternal, the, 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 the saint of the softball at the NBC News or whatever, like you're the... You know, when this kind of interview opportunity comes along, be it O'Reilly or or Brian Williams or Hillary Clinton, you know, you take this interview because that's your job and you, that's part of what comes with. I mean, it's a it's a prideful thing, but it's also a contractual thing. You know, that's 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 his job. Yeah. He does the big interview. Right. Yeah. Most of the time uh, we haven't had a ton of jaw dropping defenses of the accused <clears throat> mm-hmm. since we started this run. Right. Um, other than maybe Lena Dunham. But yesterday we got Geraldo <laughs> comes through with this tweet. News is a flirty business, and it seems like the current epidemic of hashtag sex harassment allegations. How much? By the way, how often was the hashtag sex harassment allegations used yesterday? Maybe criminalizing courtship and conflating it with predation. What about hashtag Garrison Keeler? He had a series of tweets, which then Fox semi-apologized for and said, this is not our standard. That was weird. 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of it makes me think of your previous question, like what is occupying Geraldo's mind, if not his time, that this is the, how he decides to spend a an afternoon tweeting this stuff. Well, I think all of us, when these accusations came out, said, "Oh, this is how it always worked in the news business." Yeah, sadly, or the movie business, yeah. whatever. And Geraldo was basically <laughs> confirming that this is how it how it worked in the news yeah. business in a terrible way. Your old boss, Jacob Weisberg, had a good comment on this. I, I think a really, to me, a really penetrating comment on this on on uh, the political Gab Gabfest Slate's podcast. We're living through a revolution. This revolution is long overdue. And I very much welcome it. Revolutions are very messy and revolutions inevitably go to excess. And part of that excess is a loss of proportionality about how bad different things are. Punishments are meted out unjustly. And I think that that's I mean, yes, this is how I mean, maybe this is how some office environments operate. But that that isn't a defense. No, not at all. I was also fascinated by the detail that. Maybe Megyn Kelly is going to get Matt Lauer's job. <laughs> Megyn Kelly had been doing so badly at her in her 9 a.m. Oh, hour. And now through some triple bank shot would wind up as host of the Today Show. Wouldn't that be strange and amazing on a number of levels? It would be really weird. Uh, another like moment of kind of necessary dissonance that keep, that's come up with the Matt Lauer thing is how like everywhere, everyone that's publishing stories about Matt Lauer being fired and the sexual harassment allegations and everything else. It's like in the sidebar of every periodical almost is like, who's going to replace Matt Lauer? Your our top 10 picks, you know, so it's <laughs> right. a, a, a real, a real concern yeah. about the Today Show is who's the new host of the Today Show, yeah. which is for me is always so funny because as somebody who didn't watch those shows, I and I think a lot of Americans only experienced it as a Game of Thrones. Yes. Every time there was like a problem or is Matt getting fired or is Matt's contracts like late night. Yeah. You experience it much more as like a woge bomb than you do as actual television. Absolutely true. Yes. Yeah. And here we are again. Topic number two, David, as we were processing the Matt Lauer news, Minnesota Public Radio announced it was firing Garrison Keeler, the <laughs> formerly beloved homespun storyteller for what it called, quote, inappropriate behavior. Garrison Keillor does not host a Prairie Home Companion anymore. He does host a show called The Writer's Almanac. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you were aware of that one. The best of a Prairie Home Companion, too. They, those shows are gone. Um, what was interesting about this one is there are, the allegations against Matt Lauer are pretty wide-ranging uh, and beyond disgusting. They're a little bit different for Garrison Keillor. Right. He said in a statement to the Minneapolis Star Tribune, I put my hand on a woman's bare back. I meant to pat her back after she told me about her unhappiness and her shirt was open and my hand went up at about six inches. She recoiled. I apologized. I sent her an email of apology. We were friends and we continued to be friendly right up until her lawyer called. And this is another, I think a couple of couple thoughts. Thought number one is as we go through this terrain that you talked about being messy and terra incognita, right? Right. And media, we're going to get a whole spectrum of things. And this is on a different place on the spectrum, mm -hmm. allegedly, than Matt Lauer is. Yeah. Um, in this case, the result was the same. Sure. I mean, the, 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 going back to the Lauer thing, I mean, it's. I thought what was interesting, and it was NBC's response was they, you know, when they when they had one formal HR complaint, they said, "Well, but we're we're sure we're we're confident that this is not an isolated incident." Yep. And some of that was the I think the complaint entailed discussion of previous times, you know, and they knew this variety story, the New York Times story. They had, I'm sure they'd seen other allegations in less formal venues. Um, but part of it was, you know, the the allegations, or I'm sure that everybody there was on some level fully aware of that Lauer was, you know, openly making sexual comments on the set. Yes. Uh, you know, giving inappropriate gifts to people as sort of jokes. Um, you have to wonder with, you know, when when, when something like the Garrison Keillor thing happens, uh, when he gets fired, if there's not a sort of institutional knowledge that this problem is bigger than this one incident, I have no idea. I mean, it all seems very, it, it's, it's, it's perplexing. But again, as part of this, you know, kind of revolution, as I, you know, Jacob Weisberg called it, it's, there's going to be some of these lesser incidents that are, that are brought into the same, into the same, you know, spectrum spectrum. Yeah. I go back. I talked to Kim Masters, the Hollywood reporter, a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I go back to a rule that she, 
don't know if we can call this the Kim Masters rule, but I'm going to go ahead and call it that right now. The <laughs> stuff you hear on the front end of these things yeah. is often not the worst stuff. Yeah. I mean, if we go back and look at that very first Harvey piece in the New York Times, sure. it was both devastating and comparatively mild to the things we learned later about Harvey Weinstein. I don't say mild in any spectrum other than we learned much, much worse yeah. as, it, as it went sure. on. Um, so every time we say, oh, well, if that's it, if that's all Al Franken did, if that's all Garrison Keillor did, there's some. there's often chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five to come as – more people come forward. It's yeah. like you just have to really tap the brakes before you, you know, make any make any sort of assumption like that. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there, there's I think there's there, there may be more that we find out. There might not be more, um, you know, I think what I mean, I think just I don't want to get into like dangerous territory here. But I think that, you know, the more the longer this thing goes, the more I have this feeling that demonizing like demonizing the all of the you know the vi- quote unquote villains in these stories um to such a degree is actually not a helpful way to to process it because it 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 oversimplifies the larger problem and just like and and I mean to use the term demonize I mean just like with you know some people of various religions ascribing like great you know the, the, blaming the devil for all the problems in the world, it makes the problem too simple. I mean, these are going to be, these are human beings and it's not to defend anything they did, but it, but it, uh, from our position, from, from the, from the perspective of the onlooker or from the victim, um, you know, you look at Savannah Guthrie's, the way that she was breaking down announcing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it oversimplifies it. I mean, evil exists in so much as it exists, it exists inside of human beings, you know, sure. in, in all of us. And that's part of the that's part of why we see the problem, you know, continuing the way that it does. It was funny because I was I looked askance a little bit when people are making in the New York Times has done, I think Time magazine has done it too, a list of all the people, of all yeah. the men who have gone down in this thing. And on the one hand, it's a handy reference guide because you forget. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you're just putting a lot of very different problems. And a lot of very different uh, transgressions into one thing, yeah. into one kind of almost clickbaity kind of list. Sure. And I just don't know how helpful that is, other than as a reference guide. A couple other things about Keeler. One, he several Facebook posts last night. Were you aware that how multimedia Garrison Keeler was before this? I was not aware. He said he was going to move out of the country. Yes. Uh, in one of them, <laughs> he then deleted that post. He said he would wanted to come back because he wanted to write a couple of movies, yeah, and a weekly humor column and a book called Gratitude. Also, I was. I just sort of assumed that Garrison Keillor wrote everything on Foolscap or something. I didn't know he was actually at a Facebook page. <laughs> also, I was a little bit surprised at the media schadenfreude about Garrison. I didn't know that that many people hated him. I kind of have no opinion about yeah. Garrison Keillor. Were you kind of shocked at how many people are like good riddance? Yeah. Weird time for a take. Weird time for a take. Um, also, this is alleged. We don't quite know at this point, but the a Prairie Home Companion will be retitled The Chris Thiele Show. Yeah. After its new host, Chris Thiele. And this is one of the also we should also note that Garrison Keillor had just written a Washington Post piece suggesting that Al Franken should not resign. Well, there you go. Prompting one of the greatest updates of all time at the top of the column. What does it say? <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but it was update Garrison. There, you should read some stuff about Garrison Keillor before you plow through this defense of uh, semi defense of Al Franken. Oh, man. I was also reading the Star Tribune, which is sort of. Owned this story, giant story in their backyard, and they sent a reporter to Garrison Keillor's hometown to gauge the reactions of men and women on the street. And the headline was one of the most Minnesota things I've ever read. Quote, Minnesotans confess, quote, very turbulent feelings over allegations against Garrison Keillor. They confess that they have these turbulent feelings. I thought that was uh, I thought that was so Midwestern. Oh, man. It was amazing. That's The Washington Post thing is crazy i mean uh, you know there have been a lot of people writing um op-ed opinion pieces over the past several weeks that are sort of a lot of female writers um, mostly female writers that are sort of you know suggesting that we tap the brakes on the on the witch hunt or you know to to the extent that it is one um because a lot of people are getting brought in as you were saying before to these top 10 lists that that you know, they're not the, they're not always the same thing um but when you're 
I mean, just as a man, if you're if 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 you are if you feel compelled to write an article to write an op-ed in defense of someone being accused of these things, maybe examine your own motives. <laughs> right? Why am I, why do I want to weigh in on this right now? Why yeah. do I want to be loudly on the other side right now? I hear that old piano from down the avenue. I smell the green grass. I look around for you. It's time, David, for our overworked Twitter joke of the week. And just like we've got a th- hundred media topics to talk about this week, we've got about a thousand overworked Twitter jokes of the week. So I actually have runners up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Your fourth runner up. Holy. I know, right? Yeah. If you reacted to the firing of Grizzlies coach David Fisdale with any version of take that for data, congratulations on. <laughs> That's from listener Justin Schooner. Yeah. Um, going back a bit since we've been off uh, for a couple of weeks. On November 15th, reacting to his rejection by Senate Majority Leader, uh, Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore tweeted, Dear Mitch McConnell, bring it on, which led everyone in the world to note that bring it on is a movie about high school cheerleaders. <laughs> everyone made that joke, including the director of bring it on, Peyton the, Reed. The, the first time I saw that tweet, I laughed. I have to admit. The 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 comeback tweet? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a good tweet. <laughs> it's a good tweet. But then it was like a billion times on Twitter. It was amazing. <laughs> Usually the overworked Twitter joke is funny. Yes. It is often funny. Our second runner-up will, you will remember this, on November 24th, our President Donald Trump tweeted, Time Magazine called to say that I was probably going to be named man, paren, person of the year like last year, but I would have to agree to an interview, blah, blah, blah. Thanks anyway. So many people just rewrote the Trump tweet. For their own purposes. Oh, right. Sports Illustrated just called to say I was probably going to be named cover model for their swimsuit issue. That was NFL writer Benjamin Albright. Thanks to Joshua Dixie Walker, by the way, for pointing that out. Our first runner-up, David. We're getting close to the top here. Prince Harry got engaged to the American actress Meghan Markle. Yes. And if you made any any joke about, oh, good, I'm free in May to go to the royal wedding or about what you would wear that day. <laughs> You not only indulged in the overworked Twitter joke, but you really just made a dad joke, right? I mean, that is just yes. That's just the most base that's, humor. Yeah, go to the royal wedding. You can do better than that. Come on, people. All right, and finally, our winner: a group prize, David, to everyone who exploited Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon IP to make jokes about his demise. Oh no! Up to and including Lake Woe Be Gone. Wobegon, if true. That made me laugh. <laughs> and so far, all the Garrison Keeler joke tweets have been below average. Oh. Before we talk about Greg Schiano, let's take a quick break. Hello! Woo! I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished gazing upon the Porzingat himself in his care of magical creatures class. It's Ringer staff writer, your maester, Jason Concepcion. And we are here on urgent business. Is it urgent? It's urgent to tell you about Binge Mode Weekly, our triumphant return to our true home, our true dragonstone, your earbuds. We are back! Yeah! On Binge Mode Weekly. Jason and I will be taking our trademark deep dive into the topics that are occupying our minds and hearts, the events of the moment. Love the scholarly expertise and accessibility of Binge Mode Game of Thrones? Then you'll love Binge Mode Weekly, where we'll touch on everything from our favorite books and movies to the shows that are obsessing us at a given moment to the sporting events captivating us from week to week. Binge Mode Weekly starts this Thursday and every Thursday thereafter on the same feed as Binge Mode Game of Thrones. Oh, Thursday! It. Dun dun dun. Give me that Haggard-sized drum roll. Stay tuned for binge mode Harry Potter in spring 2018. Akio binge mode. Protect Hedwig. Jason, I have some very distressing news for you. All right, David, on Sunday, the world learned that Greg Schiano, your favorite former Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach, 
Oh, man. Was about to be hired as the head man at the University of Tennessee. And then all hell broke loose whew, as a ragtag collection of opponents. Later denounced as a, quote, Twitter lynch mob by several quit- critics. Got together to stop this. They It included Clay Travis. I was actually impressed how broad this coalition was. Clay Travis, our old pal, former Tennessee defensive tackle Albert Hainsworth, and numerous Tennessee politicians. They noted a couple of things. One, that uh, Greg Schiano was accused of having some knowledge of the whole Jerry Sandusky scandal back at Penn State. And number two, yeah, deep sigh. And number two, that he wasn't a very good football coach. Anyway, they succeeded in foiling it. He is not going to be the coach of the University of Tennessee. And a lot of people got really mad at this. Right. <clears throat> this is the press story here, right? Yes. There were some incredibly over-the-top reactions to the fact that this whole thing had been foiled. Yes. The speed at which the, the narrative arc uh, took place in this story is maybe the most compelling part of it, right? I mean, the, the distance between word leaking out that Tennessee was going to hire Shiano and then the, you know, chorus of loud voices emerging online in various forms and then the chorus of defenses of Shiano coming in largely from the sports writer contingent. Um, it seemed like it all happened. If you weren't paying attention it all happened at the same time. Yeah. And a, a lot of, a couple of the reactions said, you know, this is unprecedented what's happening here. That people, that fans, crazy Twitter people, Clay Travis should be able to rise up and get a coach knocked out of the thing. But yeah. to me, it's like the speed is what's interesting, as you say. This has been happening for years. Yeah. Remember firecoachsoandso.com? Sure. Remember when that was a thing? Mm-hmm. When I was at the University of Texas and we had our bad football coach, John Makovic, there was like a plane that flew over the stadium that said <laughs> flush the John. That yeah. was a good one. <laughs> um, that was the overused Twitter joke of the week circa 1981 <laughs> over, or whatever yeah, that right. was. Overused plane joke of the plane flying over the stadium <laughs> joke of the week. Uh, this is People have been exerting – you know, influence on these things, if that's the word for it. Yeah. Forever. It's not new. Well, what's new is that the uh, the way that I mean, the high, the actual hiring process, the fact that it happens in, in, you know, almost complete darkness to the to the fan base and the general public. Um, now there is a means of responding to it in time. It, with the speed, you know, with almost the same speed at which it's announced, you can express you, you can express your discontent with that selection. Whereas, f- even five years ago, um, you know, the fastest response was the the column in the sports page the next day. Absolutely, and we know they were going to hire him Sunday night. Right. The plan was to announce the hire, and this was what also made me cringe at some of the responses was. Essentially, what you're saying is the press shouldn't have time to vet this idea. Right. Even if you ultimately come to the conclusion that the Penn State accusation is basically hearsay, there's no proof of it, we're comfortable with it, right? Sure. We're uncomfortable with the accusation, but we're comfortable with the idea because we've talked to Shiano and he assured us that it's not true. Right. You are bringing that scandal from a different school into your public university to some level. Yeah. why do a couple of decision makers at the school get to decide this with no buy-in from MBS? And why, if that's the case, why is the press rooting for that to happen? That's the craziest part. I mean, all of these football writers should be saying, you know, I disagree with, I mean, for whatever reason, I disagree with all these voices of fans and commentators that 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 upended the deal. But please get like, like allow, like I should have been able to make this case a week ago. Sure. You know? Even to defend him. Exactly. That's Let's right. have this. De- and the, the whole thing is they're saying this issue is so explosive that if we talk about it for a couple of hours, his whole thing will be his whole you know job will go go to hell. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe <laughs> if if it's that explosive, maybe we should talk about it. Exactly. Maybe we should talk about it. And by the way, the other thing I saw, I saw this from Pat Forty in his column about it, it says, oh, the, all this Penn State stuff was really a cover because people don't think that Greg Shiano was a good football coach. And they're using 
they're using the Penn State stuff to because they want they want John Gruden or they want whoever you know right. they're not going to get him either but they want somebody else. Well now who's by the way if, if you thought that hiring Greg Schiano was a bad idea because you don't think he's a good football coach that was also worth discussing. Yeah, that was also an argument worth having. Sure. Why don't people that went to the University of Tennessee or people that cover Tennessee get to have get to hash that out? It's I don't understand. Crazy. I don't like why. I just don't understand why. Why those people get to pick and nobody else gets to have any say about it. We only find out after the fact. Yeah. I mean, I think that that a lot of the anxiety about Shiano as it relates to Penn State is similar to, um, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of parallels you could draw. For some reason, my mind went, I mean, you know, back to Jerry Jones hiring Greg Hardy where it, it I mean, Greg Hardy's a very different case. But, you know, there's a lot of times when people potentially get hired and all and you you can wish they weren't hired. You can wish they weren't signed. But I think, I mean, at least for me, what I need, what I, what, what you know, like what what I'm most desperate for is some acknowledgement that the person signing this paycheck is aware that these concerns exist. <laughs> right. Right. Have a press conference and say this. You yeah. know, say like we've talked about this, and this is why I'm okay with giving this person this much money. Or leak it three days in advance of the hiring, <laughs> yeah. so that you can, so that everybody else can have a discussion. Right? Yeah. Because because if you if 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 you the way they're doing it now, you leak it you know an hour before the press conference. Then you you're leaving yourself where the only option is for for the whole thing to be tossed out, right. right? There's no there's going to be no intelligent discussion with the timeline set that way. We've seen this all over college football because there's this whole diaspora of former Baylor assistants, yeah, including one mm. low level guy who got hired by my beloved University of Texas, yeah. And guess what? Everybody on the message boards freaked out when they found out about it. Yep. Because – and again, the guy was claiming I didn't know anything. I, I just had no idea what was going on, similar to Greg Schiano. But it's like, shouldn't we talk about this? Yeah. Shouldn't the head coach answer some questions about this? Sure. Before – you know, again, I mean, just, there's so many levels. There's a level of morality and there's also a level of do I want my school mucked up in this other scandal? Right. I mean, it's just it's just like – no, why why are we, why can't we talk about this? If 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 it's okay, if he really knew nothing, let's let's have a couple of let's have a you know some time to process it. It's sort of like, I mean, j- just it's 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 the feeling that all this stuff is going on in secrecy, right? I mean, like if the if 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 the coach of if, if you know if the head coach is not willing to just come out to reporters and say I'm contemplating hiring Casey Horning or whoever you know this Baylor coach, um. I think that he was I think that he was innocent as it regards to all the stuff that went down at Baylor. And I firmly believe as a Christian that, you know, everyone deserves a second chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and this is a thing that I'm contemplating right now. I'll get back to you with word in a week. You yeah. Know? Just that just to just to open it up to sunlight, I think it doesn't absolve anything anybody of everything that, that's been done, but it certainly makes it makes you feel like you're involved in the process in so much as a, you know a single fan deserves to be and i think that's the real anxiety it's almost like the drain the swamp stuff you know it's like <laughs> all this stuff is happening and we should have we should have input and we don't have any input right or at least knowledge we should have voice and <laughs> not knowledge if, you know not like if not input at least knowledge of what we're about to do or what, as, what the school's about to especially do especially in the era of social media where it seems like we have input on everything else it's it's little wonder that this happened and it's surprising that it hasn't happened before and that's what i got so mad about because i was like this is when you denounce. First of all, the idea of a Twitter lynch mob. Mm. Do, do we not make the mother's mom's basement joke? Right? Yeah. Can we can we add that? To, is this like the way we talked about the web in two thousand sure. or something? But the reason there is a quote unquote Twitter lynch mob is because you they are performing a basic background check at blinding speed that you did not give the conventional press a chance to perform. Yes. And if you are rooting against the press, rooting against reporting, rooting against the press, performing a background check, I just don't want to say that. That's just crazy to me. Also, you're still allowed to hire him. Yeah, that's what I mean. That, like, you're, if you're reacting to the Nobody Twitter lynch said- mob, then it's then you're then then you're validating the complaint. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's that's what that that's what we've seen here. If you were that easily spooked yeah. by a couple of hours of bad tweets, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> maybe you should rethink the process. Maybe you should rethink the process. Topic number four, David, is not a fun topic. ESPN on Wednesday laid off about 150 people. Uh, CNN noted that amounts to about 2% of their workforce. Uh, we had layoffs back in April that consist of lots of bold-faced names like Ed Werder and Jason Stark. This time it was behind-the-scenes production people, mm-hmm. editors of the website, things like that, people that are they're not as well-known 
uh, to the general public. I wrote about this yesterday. The big question to me was, as I think about this and write about ESPN's layoffs, is just how do we think about ESPN post layoffs? You know, this ESPN that's clearly diminished. Yeah. But is also still making money, not quote unquote dying as its critics would would insist. Some critics would insist. Um, how do we think about that as an institution? I mean, I thought the, the most uh, the most sort of uh, affecting sentence in the piece that you wrote was this is how ambition is scaled back. Mm-hmm. Right. ESPN has made, you know, so many moves towards global dominance in our lifetimes, right? I mean, just every, like, prior to the past couple years, every press release from ESPN was how they were going to take over another segment of the world, right? Right. Um, And, yeah, I mean, this is just the, this is the really sad part. During the first round of layoffs, all that was really discussed were the, were the big names. Right. And you had kind of had to shoehorn into the conversation. There's also a lot of just regular people who are losing their jobs here, people whose names no one's ever heard of. And a lot of those people, by the way, probably moved to Bristol with the expectation that this was like the closest thing to a union job you could get. This is lifetime employment. Absolutely. This round, it's almost exclusively those sorts of people. And to me, it's much more, you know, melancholy than round one was because of that. Yeah. A couple of differences too. Like a lot of the people in April had big contracts or long contracts that were going to be paid off. So maybe they're being paid till next year. Not every case, but in some cases. Yeah. This year you have a lot of people who are just straight up employees who will get a severance package and all that stuff, but they're not, you know, going to make money until 2019. Yeah. You know, so it's just a totally different thing. Yeah, and you're right. It is we do think about those layoffs differently because it's like, how can there be an ESPN without Jason Stark? Sure, was basically what we thought in April. And this time, it's just yeah. The question is almost like, how can there be an ESPN that isn't just doing whatever it wants? Yeah, I mean, and and you know, not to be harsh, but like you know, the flip side of that is that everybody who's a public face has any number of people online who have wished for them to be fired at some point over the years too. You know, yeah. like you pe- people publicly contemplate the employment of of public faces, public figures, right? Sure. You don't think about it in terms of, of you know, the guy running the camera or editing the film or whatever. And I think a lot of it when you talk about scaling back ambition is hidden to us right now mm-hmm. and we'll kind of, and we'll never quite know, you know, it's not like they make an announcement and say, we're no longer going to be, you know, having our NBA writers do X and Y. We'll just kind of learn about it by osmosis. You'll flip on, you'll click on the website, or you watch the TV, you watch some, you know, sports center, and you'll just notice that it's a little different. Sure. Uh, as John Skipper said yesterday, we'll do less. Yeah. It'll probably be kind of imperceptible at first, but then you'll just notice, oh, ESPN's not doing that anymore. Yeah. You know, they're not covering recruiting like they used to. Hockey, which has been a long time, you know, something they've sort of phased out in in, in pieces over the years, right? Like they're just not they're not covering those things as much anymore. Baseball, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, there, I have I have so many disparate thoughts on this. I mean, on the on the on the one hand, it's like, you know, you you can imagine, you can like fantasize about fixes they could have to save money, right? I mean, just like would Sports Nation be demonstrably, you know, less fun if it was filmed on iPhone cameras by interns? Like, I don't know, but you know, the flip side of it is, and not to demonize the mothership, but I mean, so many giant companies of this sort, you know, have multiple priorities, multiple things happening at the same time. But how many of these salaries? you know, could have been paid off if they in if they had chosen to pay them instead of building a giant new studio in lower Manhattan. You know, or I mean how many or like, in Bristol. But I mean but but that has to do with ambition too, because there is still oh. ambition, right? Totally. If the ambition were totally dead, they could probably maintain the status quo for a really long time. We're not we're not trying to get anything else. We're gonna hang on to our to our X number of, you know, cable buys for, you know, until they all disappear. Yeah, and our core properties like Sports Center, right? We're exactly. going to invest in those things, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough, you know. It's not they're not the only company who's laying off people in December 2017. It's it's a sort of seems like a popular thing to do right now, but with ESPN, it, you know, like you wrote, this does sort of feel like a bellwether. Topic number 5, David is James O'Keefe. All right. Conservative rabble rouser. <laughs> he <laughs> and his Project Veritas tried to bust the Washington Post. Yes. Which has reported brilliantly on Roy Moore. A woman 
approached the Washington Post, said that uh, she offered herself up as another woman who said that she had been impregnated by Roy Moore many, many years ago when she was a teenager. Um, this was supposed to prove that the Post would pr- would print any allegation, right? Against more, I think that's the that was the underlying idea here, right? Yes, that they would they were sloppy, they were out to get him. Um, <laughs> what it wound up proving, thanks to the thrilling video we were allowed to see of the <laughs> reporter uh, basically telling the woman that they were on to the gag, yeah, was that they're really good reporters and they're really diligent, mm-hmm. and they don't fall for low hanging fruit like this. Yeah, I mean, was that video amazing? Or what? I mean, just to be go ahead. What did you think of the video first? Now I'll, I'll share my thoughts. I, I can't even. It's not just the whole story is just like. I mean, I think we were aware that this was the sort of this was the Project Veritas mo, right? This is the sort of thing sure. that they were up to. They'd released other videos about the Washington Post in particular. That I mean, that were that you could you know, uh, we we you could figure out the game plan pretty easily. It was like the depths of it that were so mind blowing. Not just impersonating. Uh, you know, a sexual assault victim. Um, but then the article came out yesterday that the the woman in question had been trying to infiltrate the post and get these clips for months in various different, you know, in various different venues and platforms, constantly showing up uninvited to going away parties for various post staffers and just sort of like chumming, chumming it up with like, you know, editors at the bar and just trying to yeah. catch them off guard. And in this case, saying just like really anodyne things about just like the difference between the news and editorial operations at the post. I mean, like what? a First of all, this sounds like a fun job. Project Veritas, give me a call. <laughs> I can just drink with a camera in my pocket. This sounds like I, I, I think I can pull this off. But the but I don't know. The whole thing is just mind boggling. She's been to more journalism mixers than I've been to in my whole life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. I mean, I, I've never been to like the meet and greets. Like, what is that? I have no idea. Let's got all the investigative reporters. To, I just I don't. I didn't know those things existed. Oh yeah, the really low fi ones, like the New York, <laughs> like like just it's just a bunch of like young up and coming people trying to network, and she's in there trying to get people yeah. put on some sort of blacklist for their politics. I don't. I don't the other thing that struck me is there's this movie idea of journalism, All the President's Men, Spotlight recently. The Post coming up. The Post where these kind of dramatic moments happen within newsrooms. Yeah. And then you watch that video <laughs> and you see the Post reporter and there's nothing dramatic about it. Uh, there's no yelling. There's no screaming. There's no finger being pointed. Gotcha. Yeah. She's just calmly laying out the idea that this woman is a fraud. Yeah. And that there's going to be a big story in the Washington Post calmly giving her the chance over and over again to yeah. say something, to comment for the story. This is your chance now if you want to really explain this. That's how devastating journalism actually works. Yes. By calm, level-headed, dogged, detail-oriented people who just pour through everything and then go, okay, now I'm going to write something about it that you're not you're, you're going to really, really hate. Yeah. And here's your chance. And boy, that was an amazing video. I could watch that a hundred times. Yeah, it was really compelling. A couple other points about this. I love Matt Lewis's column, The Daily Beast, when he wrote about O'Keefe, who got $20,000 from Donald Trump, by the way, we should also note, and was making, I believe, over $300,000 last year. I saw that report, yeah. He made the point that if you're a young conservative journalist, essentially who's trying to do a startup, work in kind of a startup environment, you're at the bidding giant conservative donors. Yes. And if you go to them and say, I want to do, you know, essentially like a good government startup where I'm, you know, something like just shoe leather investigative reporting. I'm going to make the the next national review or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And that's like commentary, but just like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do big, you know, big, big investigative pieces about our federal agencies. Mm -hmm. They're just not interested. But if you say, I'm going to go expose the secret agenda of the Washington Post, which is, you know, trying to concoct rumors about Roy Moore, they're like, ah, I'm in. I love it. Let's do it. So it winds up leading – it winds up funneling the money toward crazy things as opposed to things that would be useful and would actually be successful. Yeah. As opposed to just a complete cell phone like this whole thing turned out to be. Sure. And the people that are critical of the Washington Post, uh, 
you know, have have justifications in their own minds. But, you know, I think the the parts of The Washington Post or The New York Times or CNN or whatever, I guess CNN may be a bad example, but the, the, you know, the, these big institutions, the, the things that they're exposed to through conservative, you know, websites and, you know, message boards and everything else, that's such a small fraction of what The Washington Post or The New York Times or whatever does. The most significant stuff they do um, is – allow people to write the boring stuff, you know? And it's the same thing with this LA Weekly, all the LA Weekly layoffs we've heard, the the, the vast majority of people who are lamenting this on online and on Twitter and everything else are like, these people were the only people willing to go to these like board meetings in LA. The, the LA, LA Weekly were the only people covering L, the non-Hollywood parts of LA in a real human way. And, uh, you know, increasingly our media as a whole is is sort of in the grips of of, you know, this sort of exploit exploitative, you know, publicity mongering. Speaking of in the grips, <laughs> our final story today on Sunday night, the Meredith Corporation bought Time Inc., a company that publishes Time Magazine, People, Sports yeah. Illustrated. And they did it with an infusion of $650 million from the billionaire Koch brothers. Do you remember this is sort of a sidebar. Do you remember when time and people being owned by the same corporation seems sort of like a controversy? Like this was in our lifetimes, right? I mean, that this like this is a conflict. These two things are like competitors on the stands. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's this one's weird. I said before we started recording that, uh, you know, the Trump White House could learn something from the Koch brothers when it comes to you know, making a big move like this and somehow having very little negative response because they just do it at exactly the right time and exactly the most sort of lo-fi possible way. Well, they certainly don't do an end zone dance on Twitter <laughs> whenever they have a win like Trump does. Yeah, I mean, so we should also add that the Cokes, there was a lot of assurances from Meredith that the Cokes would not have direct editorial control. Right. They're going to be passive owners. Passive owners. I mean, I think there's a general rule of thumb, just like the Kim Masters rule of Hollywood sex scandals, the <laughs> whoever Rupert Murdoch rule of this is that ideological owners of publications at some point will inflict their ideology on the publication. Yes. I mean, we heard that Rupert wasn't going to do this with the, I think Brent Stelter pointed that out this week with the, with the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. It did not turn out to be the case. Yeah. Um, and, and Jeff Bezos coming up with the new tagline for the Washington Post. I'm sorry, that was sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> the um, thank you, thank you, James O'Keefe for that one. The other one is the uh, the Daily Beast story that has that suggested that maybe Meredith doesn't actually want the weeklies. So there's actually two existential threats here, right? Okay, one I is like that Time Magazine becomes, you know, fossil fuels are great weekly. Yes. Uh, the the second threat. Is that they just sell all the weeklies that Meredith just wants the monthly titles because uh -huh. they publish a lot of monthly magazines, and that somebody like David Pecker of American Media, which publishes the National Enquirer, yeah, gets his hands on time. Right. I don't know if and that and he's a big Trump guy too, so I don't know if that's actually better or worse. Or I guess the third existential threat is that they just shut all the stuff down and say, "Boy, Time Magazine costs a lot of money. Let's turn it into something that's not an actual weekly organ of journalism." Yeah, I mean, there, there's this sort of zoom out journal. I mean, just journalism and current year question of of or issue of why the Meredith Corporation was the most attractive buyer for these properties, right? Um, not to say that the, that the current owners of Time Inc. Are, are ideological or not, but that they would that they would you know make that sort of deal. Just, you know, uh, certainly the assurances of. The Meredith Corporation about the Koch brothers' non-involvement is not the most meaningful thing. You know, is not not enough to change your mind if you're if you're skeptical. Um, but you know, there's not a there's probably not a ton of interest in this sort of legacy media, at least not to the dollar figure that the that the Meredith Corporation is willing to offer. Um, but even if the, you know, if you take the most sort of like arch perspective that that the the time does become fossil fuels are great weekly. Um, it, it is there, there. It is an interesting question as to you know the way the the, the decision making process for the Koch brothers about what they're interested in investing in and this sort of legacy thing is this just doubling down on the sort of you know golden age set of of you know the, the the Fox News audience that's like you know demonstrably older than the people that are watching network TV at night or whatever. Mm. Um, 
those are the, those are probably largely the people who are still consuming their news through weekly or monthly magazines delivered to their door. Right. So you want to you want to get the geezer set basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I but that's the question. I mean, I I, I can't imagine they ma- that they're projecting some sort of like massive revitalization for any of these magazines. It's really strange. There's also this uh, there was this in Joe Pompeo's story in Vanity Fair's website, which is that at Time Inc. he quoted an uh, anonymous source there saying it's like it's just been so unsettling to work at Time Inc. Yeah, that in a weird way, this is like well, this may be less than ideal. This may actually turn out to be bad, but at least it's something yeah. rather than when are we going to be sold? Yes, which is what they've been going through the last couple of years. Will we have money? Will we shut down? Yeah, and that just struck me as such a sad mournful cry from you know the world of not even just print media but media which is that even a potentially bad future is better than constant uncertain future yeah i mean that's just sort of says a lot about the media landscape right now at least the legacy media landscape um it's kind of more fun more fun than uh than fossil fuels are great weekly is to imagine what like the if you know if the Koch brothers really bore down on sports illustrated and just like put all their ideology, put all the kind of arch conservative conservative ideology into that one, what we would get. Oh my god. It would actually probably be a pretty fun magazine in its own way. Yeah. Do you what do you what would you think about Lee Jenkins's takes on tax breaks for the wealthy? <laughs> <laughs> would you want to read that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The point after, you know, everyone's about how government has gotten too large and uh, we just need to scale things back. <laughs> Yeah. At the point after the last the last page every week is what what cabinet off what cabinet uh, office can we eliminate? Yeah, exactly. That'd be really weird. Let's not even think about this. Just depressing me <laughs> totally. <laughs> even SI becomes even SI. Yeah, it's it's like SI. Somebody at SI is like speed reading Jane Mayer's book, you know, to see if the Cokes are interested in sports at all. Yeah, they play <laughs> golf, squash. Yes. What do you think? I don't know, man. I'm excited about new editor-in-chief Tim Tebow, I'm saying. <laughs> All right. On that semi-depressing note, that's the press box this week, David. We got through it, man. We did. It was a marathon. It was a marathon. I think we'll have 9,000 more topics next week uh, at this rate uh, that the world is moving, but we'll be back and we'll cover all of them. I just got an email, the Webby Awards email, to say that we're going to be the podcast of the year, but we have to agree to a to an interview and photo shoot. I'm not... <laughs> Next week, we'll definitely not be talking about the Webby Awards. He's David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. See ya. Project Veritas, give me a call.